When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast. Good Saturday to you. Joined now by our good friend, Johnny Shop, Johnny Guitars, who's with us each and every week, once a week. As you know, he's a very successful journalist and uh, attorney based in Atlanta, down in Buckhead area. And he's joining us now because John Gruden went before the Nevada Supreme Court this week. And I know what my lay mind is, but I'm up on a hunting trip up in the North Country, and John's an attorney. So I may, even though I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn last night, stayed at a log cabin, um, I am going to defer all legal expertise to the man, the legend, the way of life, Johnny Shop. Johnny, take it away. Give us the details. Now, I want to lay the groundwork. John Gruden is coach of the Raiders. Emails of his begin to leak. It is presented uh, essentially more will come out if he's not gotten rid of. The late Raiders come to a deal. They settle with him. He's out. He sues. He uses uh Mark Davis's attorneys, who we've already talked about before, there is fear in the NFL that John Gruden's lawsuit's going to get to discovery. The NFL is asking the court to throw it out. Johnny, take it away. Where are we? Sure. Well, yeah, we should start with where this thing started from. And it is ironic because we actually remember exactly where it started. I think it was, uh, it was in the night. I know that. In the evening, when I saw the New York Times link drop for the article, Hondo and I were in communication nearly immediately. We got from there to where John Gruden settles with the Raiders and then files a lawsuit against Roger Goodell in the NFL saying, hey, you guys were negligent in letting these emails out. You guys were part of it. You tortuously interfered with my contract. I'm going to take you to court. I want trial in front of a jury. From that point, the NFL said, oh, cowboy, we're going to file a motion to compel you to an arbitration because that's what your contract says any dispute like this has to go through. Now, some of us know arbitration. We've heard the word. Too many of us are stuck in contracts that have mandatory arbitrations, a cell phone, a gym, in the old days, a cable company, et cetera. So we're somewhat familiar with that. But what that is, is an alternative dispute resolution. The way to take a dispute between two parties, take it out of the public forum that is court, that is the litigation process, and put it in front of a neutral or a third party to decide who wins, who loses, and why. So that's how we got here. Gruden sues. The NFL says you have to be in front of and in this arbitration process. And we'll talk a little more about what that actually means in a second. After that, the NFL has appealed and they said, hey, 
you guys, this decision was wrong. We should be forced into arbitration because of this contract, because of the way this league has run and is going to run. And that's what the hearing was about earlier this week. There was a 30-minute oral argument after each party had submitted briefs, which are written arguments telling the court, you should find in our favor, and here's why. Here's what the law says. Here's what happened in this case. Here's how you apply it. This is why we win. So both sides say that. The courts read through them. Then they say, we need an oral argument, probably just for a little bit of the part that's in dispute. And that's where we got to the 30 minutes earlier this week. That's part one. Now, you want to get into the nuts and bolts? I do. The nuts and bolts are tricky. The nuts and bolts have to do with the NFL saying, hey, John Gruden agreed to the language of his contract. And the language of his contract at the very beginning says this falls under the Constitution of the NFL. The Constitution of the NFL has been around for a long, long time. It's in every deal that's done. It compels this to be arbitrated, not to go into public court. This is an issue bigger than John Gruden. It at least affects Brian Flores' suit, and it's going to affect others if there's others in the future. So the argument for the NFL was really, hey, this is really not in any question. He's got to arbitrate this case. And it sounds to me like he's got a pretty good argument. The NFL says, hey, John Gruden is what's called a sophisticated party. He's been signing NFL contracts since 1990. He's 50-some years old. He knew what he was doing. He was represented by counsel. The Gruden side says, whoa, he actually wasn't represented by counsel, which is an interesting argument to make. And they actually say that the timing of his lawsuit was key. They say, hey, John Gruden settled with the Raiders before he filed suit against you. So he was not an employee of an NFL team. and this does not belong to be underneath that NFL constitution saying you've got to go to the arbitration. So the really key question and what the NFL is asking is that this suit filed be moved into the arbitration like they claim it was supposed to be the whole time. John Gruden is saying the trial court judge was correct. My suit can proceed into the portion of a litigation called discovery when documents start to be exchanged people get deposed those kind of things that are going into a public record that's the rub one guy wants it in public the other says nope it's got to be behind closed doors and then here comes the hook hondo here comes the hook the arbitrator for these kind of arbitrations is one roger goodell and you may say to yourself that doesn't make a lot of sense. Roger Goodell is the guy John Gruden claims did a lot of bad things, and he's going to be the guy to decide if Roger Goodell did anything wrong. So that brings up an interesting issue legally that, um, that we can break down like this. The court's saying, you may have a point there, but this isn't the time to make that argument, John. If John Gruden 
goes through that arbitration process and feels like he didn't get a fair shake because Roger Goodell is calling a decision on what Roger Goodell did, he then and only then would be ripe to appeal and ripe to say, hey, this should not have been the case that this guy was arbitrating the claim that I made against him. Hopefully, we have not lost most of the audience yet. Trying to keep this as simple as I can, and I'm certainly not a professor, but that's kind of a summation of where we are right now and how we got here and really what the stakes are. The stakes are where does this case go from here, into public court or behind closed doors? Now, John, um, I, I broke a story a couple of years ago when this first came out that if it got to discovery, I believe that John, uh, that Roger Goodell would lose his job. Um, I It's been reported now by other people that they are deathly afraid of this lawsuit. Um, the justices, and I don't, I'm not an attorney, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, although I did stay in a log cabin. Um, the justices certainly seem to, when I read their arguments, take umbrage with him being the arbitrator, talking about Roger Goodell. Do you believe, I'm going to ask you two different questions because they're completely different. Do you believe as an attorney, obviously you're not in this case, but do you believe as an attorney if this gets to discovery, where John Gruden knows where all the bodies are buried, whether he lends the case or not, do you think if it gets to discovery, Roger Goodell will make it through that and remain the commissioner of the NFL? Yeah, I don't want to give a lawyer sounding answer, but it really depends how far into discovery they get and how wide. So in discovery, we can generally... Can, fish I, can I stop you for one second? I'm going to tell you what I was told without telling you who told me. John does not need, nor does he want any money. He wants a pound of flesh. So I asked that same question before. Well, does the NFL just step up and say, here's X millions, go away? I was told John would not settle for any money. So assuming that he's not willing to settle, do you think it costs Goodell his job? If this gets into discovery, that discovery period is probably going to take uh at least a year and it could take more depending on how wide they go um oh it definitely could we don't know what's behind that door we don't know what's behind that door and, and what kind of access that we're going to get so let me give you an example a case gets into discovery the plaintiff side asks for emails they ask for records they ask for all kind of stuff and almost for everything they ask in this case they should expect a serious pushback for a whole lot of different reasons having to do with corporate law, uh, trade secrets, a whole bunch of different stuff, privilege. And there'll be back and forth fights in the court again about whether we can get those records, those emails. How much can we get from this team? Well, that's, that's too far. You're fishing too far to ask for that. And it's going to get uh, most likely very broad and very expensive. So one of the first things that comes to my mind is how much cash does John Gruden have or does he want to send to fund this suit? Because it's likely to get 
expensive. Now, it's not necessarily needing to be remarkably expensive and 500 bucks an hour. Maybe, maybe not. But what we're talking about is potentially a humongous amount of data that they could receive from the NFL in discovery. And then they've got to go through and or pay somebody to go through all of that before knowing. Now, let if me give you another one. I was told, and it's somebody who I believe would know, that John doesn't care if he goes bankrupt. He's very, very wealthy, so he's not worried about having the money to fight. And that's another thing. The NFL is not used to fighting people who, A, are not interested in the money, and B, have enough money to fight back. So if that's accurate and that's his mindset, it doesn't set up good for the NFL, does it? If the thing gets put into discovery, no, it does not set up well. And I'm not so sure how, how great it sets up for them, even if it doesn't. I, I understand the concern about Roger Goodell mediating an action against Roger Goodell. But practically speaking, the advice that the NFL is going to get in that standpoint, if it goes there, and I think that they probably would do, is they would not have him be the mediator. Even though the contract says the commissioner is the mediator, I'm sorry, the arbitrator for all of these kind of issues against teams, there's two parts to that. Gruden saying, hey, I wasn't part of the Raiders when I filed suit. And two, right. uh, you know, why are you deciding on yourself? What I wonder if we're going to see the court basically suggest is this goes back to arbitration, but you've got to have more of a neutral as the arbitrator. Now, if that happens, the discovery will be shaped in a different way. It will be limited in a different way. Those typically fall under a pretty consistent pattern of arbitrations in and under what's called the federal rules. And we would be probably limited to leaks as far as what information would come out of those. And the ability to penalize information leaked out of those is at a pretty high level because there's a really good chance that information shared in that arbitration setting and discovery, everyone's going to have a pretty good idea of who had access to what, who opened what. So it's, I would not expect a whole bunch of leaks to come out of that. But again, as you mentioned, this is not just about John Gruden or doesn't sound like it's about John Gruden's money. It's nearly immediately about Brian Flores, who wants the same kind of thing. He does not want to be stuck in this arbitration with his incredible allegation against uh, Stephen Ross and the Miami Dolphins. This will go way beyond that for others that have a grievance within the league that we absolutely never hear about because they've signed contracts with the NFL Constitution requiring them to go into closed-door arbitrations that we almost never hear anything at all about. Interesting, isn't it? It is. The interesting thing to me, uh, just looking at it really quickly, was this was only a 30-minute oral argument. That doesn't look great for John Gruden. He's got an interesting uh, piece. He's got some interesting pieces kind of on his side. The, the timing of the suit, if he had filed while he was still with the Raiders, it's a, it's probably a different and easier outcome to make. That is that is unique because he's saying, oh, 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 this thing does not even apply to me. And if it does, where he's not as strong as, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't even know that it existed. 
That's an impossible argument to make when you've signed NFL contracts since 1990. Sure, there was a break there, but that one is, is very difficult. There's a lot at stake here for the league and that gigantic shield that they have. This is, if this goes the way of John Gruden and back into public court, there's a huge gash in that shield and people are going to be able to see behind it like we probably haven't seen before. Just think of all, I mean, even if you just think of um, retiree benefits and, and, you know, what medical information they had, there's a whole lot of stuff behind that shield we haven't seen before. This is a hornet's nest, potentially. A hornet's nest if it gets into discovery for the NFL. We don't even know what is behind there. And potentially for Roger Goodell, it absolutely could be the end of his career. That potential is there. Fascinating, John. Absolutely fascinating. Go ahead. About one other point, because people may wonder, well, where did this stuff come from? Can they drag the journalist in from the Times and from anybody else that reported on it? Not really. No, I, I don't think that's even on the table. Those folks are going to be protected. Their sources are going to be protected. Don't expect that to occur. The timing will be interesting. The timing is coming relatively quick. These are high, high stakes for the NFL. Fascinating times. And, John, I really appreciate you coming on for a second visit. I wanted the fans to kind of broach the subject and and see how it goes. Now, I want to talk about another subject with you. I've been reporting since Josh McDaniels was fired, uh, and we begun to see the impact of AP and Champ Kelly that I had spoken to two NFL general managers who told me they thought, thought the Raiders could hire Champ and AP by um, uh, without going through the Rooney rule by redoing their contracts. If some media chose to get really personal with it and come after me, but were not, and, and saying it wasn't true or whatever, or they had to go through it. But then we see a tweet that came out, and uh, it was by Ian Rappaport saying that, uh, let me read it to you, sources, Gerard Mayo is strong candidate to replace Bill Belichick, and if he is the choice, the Patriots could simply hire him, no need to go through their lengthy hiring process. Um, they established a firm contractual succession in a prior contract, and communicated it to the NFL. Now, I said all year, the two general managers said if they redo the contracts, they waited to the end of the year and couldn't. But once again, our reporting proven correct. Sources matter, folks. They matter. And information no, they can't. No, they can't. They've got to go through the Rooney rule. GMs don't know anything. Huh? They said. Redo the con. Yeah, you know what? We heard that. Um, I mean, obviously, what an incredible week in the sport of pro football, of college football, of, of a guy that's done so well in both, Pete Carroll. And pretty quickly after the Belichick news, you heard people say, well, this is going to be quite a ride for the Patriots. They got to go through a coaching search. They haven't done 24 years. They didn't have the Rooney Rule. They didn't have to wait until the uh, really the divisional after the divisional playoff round to do all this. You saw that reporting early, and you saw some work going on, hamster wheels, 
And then not that much longer, you see um, what is a reliable, reliable report there from Ian Rappaport that actually maybe they don't have to do that in New England. And maybe they already had this guy set up the whole time. And as you know, way better than I, uh, it's not like Gerard Mayo's name just came up in the last couple of days or weeks about being the successor to Bill Belichick. We now know there may have been something in writing well before that. Don't worry, I'm not holding my breath looking for any apologies. I'll just keep reporting what I report. I don't have to report on other people's reporting. Moving along. Uh, tomorrow, the podcast is going to be amazing. Got a Division One successful coach, current coach, who's been successful, who's very familiar with Saban, going to join us. We're going to tell some Saban stories and and going to look at the job AP has done from a successful coach's standpoint. Cannot wait for that podcast. Um, now, I know you covered Michigan State, but you did not cover them when Saban was there, correct? No, I mean, I think I think my first piece of doing any kind of covering was in 99, back in the this, this student radio station. So, yeah, I, I got there in 98 when, you know, a couple NFL head coaches were on the uh, graduate assistant staff. And then 99, McDaniels, Adam Gase, a whole bunch of other guys. I got there right before Nick Saban and Lonnie Rosen put together what would become the process. And we've seen, and we could talk a whole show about that, um, the impact of it was huge. Um, the coming out party of it was really knocking out the best team in college football that year. Ohio State was the best team in 1998. Had there been a playoff? Oh, they'd have beat everybody. They they had one slip up against Michigan State, uh, and really, they were ahead to a point where you thought the game was over. And we're going way back, folks. There was a horseshoe. They had a track around the field for the young folks that are like, no way. Um, so that was a magical time and an incredible amount of talent. But there's so much talent, innovation, nutrition, training table, weightlifting, um, student support with the Clarabelle Smith Center. We should talk a whole other time about that show. But yes, my little baby teeth got cut in 99 in a year that uh, Michigan State would go finish sixth or seventh, depending on which poll you would choose. And in kind of the dark of night almost, in a story sure to be retold again and again with different angles over years to come. And Hondo knows probably more than just about anybody and more than some people would like him to know about this story. Uh, Nick Saban goes to LSU right before Thanksgiving and takes the next step in a career that really only got better from 1999. Really, if you look at it, it only got better from 99. I would recommend everyone to go read Nick's book when he got to LSU and how he changed. Phenomenal book. Phenomenal book. John, some of our critics say that I look disinterested when I ask you questions and everyone needs to know. We used to just have it. Whoever was talking was on the screen. Then people, no, you need to have split screen. And so while you're talking, I'm looking at my next notes and my next question. You know that I'm not disinterested. I want everyone else to know I am not disinterested in John. No, folks. Go, you, can't, you, you can't please everybody. Because when it was just one person, no, we need two. Now it's, yeah. oh, you look this. I have yeah. learned one thing, John. 
And I'm so glad we're growing so fast. But dear God, critics will pick anything to criticize, won't they? They will. And, and that's okay. But they, they got to understand we've been doing this since, you know, we've been doing this. We did it on the phone for years. We've been doing this since 2009. Um, that's a long time now. Um, the video stuff wasn't as strong in the old days or we would have done more video. If we had this to do now, we would have been doing that then. And if we're lucky enough and people keep watching, we hopefully can do this 10 more years down the road. But no, there's no disinterest. There's no intentional interruptions either way. We're doing the best we can with the Zoom stuff. And hopefully one day again soon, we can do them sitting next to each other. And then there'll probably be something to pick out there. That's okay. I just like the people listening and watching. I love to hear what they think and um, we enjoy and appreciate their time because we understand like Nick Saban would understand your time is your currency with this thing. Yes. Your time yes. is your currency. We don't waste a word. We don't waste it. We work to prepare to talk about this stuff. There's actually a little production, although some people might not think so. And we try to keep it somewhat entertaining. We don't want it to be a Bill Belichick meeting. <laughs> All right, I got a surprise for you. My wife's doing something. Hey, Shannon. All right, I got a surprise for you, Johnny. All right, can I? What else do you want? You, you want me? Get, can I talk about? Um, Hang on. I want. I got a surprise for you. All right. I I got a surprise. Somebody wants to say hi to his uncle John. Who could it be? Come here. Come see Daddy. Look at that. Say hi to Uncle John. Hey, young man. Hi. What's up? Wave hi. Is he doing? I can't tell. I don't got my glasses. He's smiling. Say hi to Uncle John. Doing here with this Hawaiian Hawaiian wave. Hey, buddy. Say hi, Uncle Johnny. Guitars. It's Dexter and it's Wayne Carpenter. All right, give me a kissy. Give me a kissy. <laughs> All right. We got more hunting to do. So I'm gonna send him out to go. I tell you what, Dexter, we will never forget this meeting because this was one of the all-time historic transition weekends in football. So we will talk about this when you are older again. <laughs> All right, so talk about the next thing. Well, I mean, the next thing is so much has happened lately. The thought came to my mind, I think maybe are we East Coast or Midwest biased? I don't know. But Pete Carroll has an argument to make that he is the best guy that has coached at the college and pro level. And he can make that argument because of success at USC that, yes, was tainted and was kind of erased. And he can make that argument for the Seahawks because he won a Super Bowl. And then he's going to get a lot of credit for basically having the second Super Bowl and they dropped the trophy. Now, yep. let's contrast that with Jimmy Johnson, who seems like you think, well, he's nearly perfect. Um, he wasn't nearly perfect, but if he had stayed at Miami, I think we can consider that he would have had maybe as many national titles as Nick Saban or more. And if he had stayed with the Cowboys longer, he would have had more. Um, things didn't work in Miami, but I, I, that really didn't hurt him very much. But we talk about the guys that are stepping away here recently Saban with an incomplete NFL record if you know much about the Drew Brees story and you know about Drew Brees career I think incomplete is a fair grade to give but if we you understand know what irritates me the most yes is 
and I think you could vouch for the people. I know what I'm talking about. Nick wanted Drew so bad. And and was remember Ron Wolf wanted Brett Favre, and when they said he failed the physical, Ron Wolf said, "I don't care, I override it." That was not the case in Miami. He failed the physical. Had he, I, I said this, I think it was on yesterday's broadcast. It may have been on Thursday's. Had he had that power of Ron Wolf, Nick may yeah, still be in the NFL. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, for. It is amazing. Um, when I was in school, who was around? Breeze, Tom Brady wasn't even starting. It, it is it is ridiculous that those guys just got out of the NFL and they could still play if they wanted to. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've gone from saying Breeze failed the physical to saying um, he was he he was failed in his physical because obviously somebody else approved him. Not a great day for that doctor, but the 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 history goes, and and people would want to know if you think this is true. And some of us who've seen Nick and seen him coach, and we know how he moves up and down. We can see him walking out of the the, the office or whatever in Miami, getting that news and doing his saving thing. And some people think that that was almost like the baby seed plant of him beginning to get ready to one day go back to the college game because it's not that he was stuck with Dante Culpepper, but he had Dante Culpepper. That didn't go very well. We all know some of the, the Zach Thomas, the yin and yang. I remember when uh, Saban famously made one of the players cry, uh, which is not necessarily a good fit for the NFL level. You had Jason Taylor who benefited from Saban, uh, uh, Thomas who wants to fight him. Back and forth it goes, and then again, we could do a no, whole other show about this, about that seed gets planted with Drew Brees, and then it ends up going back to Alabama, but there was a possible deviation or turn in there to another school or two. It's a seed for another day, but the all-time most famous failed physical in the NFL, without any question, is Drew Brees at the Miami Dolphins, because if that goes another way, we are absolutely looking at a, a different history for college teams but also for professional franchises without a doubt without a doubt one step farther it was the beginning of the thought of i'm going to go back to college um i don't think it was the main deciding factor i think it started that looking over your shoulder and then other things added to it but totally uh a loss for the sport now i'm going to I'm going to end with this unless you have something else you want to talk about. But I would I would not – I don't think it's probable, meaning 50% or more, but I do think it's possible that he's not done but would go to the NFL. I think he's done in college, would go to the NFL. My but I think the – Oh, go ahead. I think the jo the job that he's made for – see, that's where people think we interrupt, but sometimes with Zoom there's a lag. He was not interrupting me, but I think so, I, the job he was made for is I think the power five, the 60 power five real power schools come together and say, all right, NCAA, we're breaking away from you because we don't need you. We're tired of some division three podunk state having to live by the same rules we do at Alabama or Texas or Georgia or Nebraska, wherever. But if you want to keep us, 
Nick Saban now becomes the czar of college football. We are going to have our own rules. And like the old baseball commissioner used to have, he will have the power to do whatever is best in the interest of the Power Five schools. Now, here's what I think is funny. Kirby Smart would vote for him to have that job right now in, in Alabama, and so would um, um, Sarkeesian, Napier. I mean, you can go down the list. Ryan Day. But I'm thinking uh, uh, Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze at Auburn would. Oh, yeah, I see I what you're saying. Think, I don't know about Jim Harbaugh, but I think it, just about everybody, there may be one or two coaches that wouldn't. I think Lane Kiffin would vote for that. All of the big-name coaches would vote for that. That tells you the respect that he has in the league when it comes to football. How much would you love? Because I, I think you and I would both agree. College football is going the way of college basketball. It's an utter disaster. It's not what it used to be. It's it, To me, it's not as enjoyable at all anymore. Um, I believe that would be the best, and it would restore college football. Your, your, your comment. One last comment ties it in with that Miami staff. Folks, look who was on the Dolphins staff with Nick Saban. Kirby Smart, for example. Just one small example. The concentration of college football is here in the South. Atlanta is the host city of college football. Around Atlanta, you have Alabama, Auburn. You have Georgia. You have Clemson. All of those massive power coaches would probably be in support of that. There's nobody in the history of college football that is more qualified to do such a job than Nick Saban, and nobody else will come along more qualified to do that job. I understand some people could say, well, we're giving one person too much power. That's a worthy consideration. Now, weigh the costs and balances of having the one person with the most power being the most successful, most organized, most disciplined, best evaluator of talent, best developer of talent, best handler of the big picture of the sport in the history of the sport. If this is at all possible, it is beyond a no-brainer and it must happen as soon as possible because that sport is degrading and eroding and falling apart before our eyes. Thank your NFL lucky stars, NFL fans, that this is not worse in the NFL. It's not even close to college football right now. Thank your lucky stars. And I hope there's still a sliver. Last thing I got to say is I hope there's still a little sliver for Nick to consider an NFL job again. The reason I say that is this. I said the same thing to Hondo more than 10 years ago. It's still true today. There's Jimmy Johnson has won college and pro, Super Bowl, national titles. Pete Carroll, essentially college and pro, national titles. Nick Saban will never be in the discussion of the all-time greatest coaches in the history of football without a Super Bowl. He is going to be held by too many folks just below the great NFL coaches. The only way he gets there is if he gets back in the league and he wins. I hope there's enough time to do it and the right opportunity. All right. Two quick things. I think Nick is the best football coach to ever live, but I see your argument about he needs a Super Bowl. I think Belichick's the best NFL. I think Nick's just the best all-around football coach. I would love to see him back in the NFL, but I'd like to see him as the czar of college football. So a very famous college football athletic director. I texted him today. I think you know who I'm talking about. I texted him today 
about him being the czar of football. Here is his response. I want to read his text. I agree with this and have been part of conversations saying we need this. I would 100% support Nick. There are some people I can tell you who would be critical because of his age. Therefore, I would vote him to be the czar with Peyton Manning as his assistant to take over when he's done. The only person that may love college football more than Peyton Manning is Nick Saban. That sets up a succession plan for continuity. What do you think of that? If something like this is going to happen, everybody has to get behind it and go in the same direction. You need guys like Jim Tressel. You need guys like Peyton Manning. You need uh, folks that have played recently. You need folks that have played a long time ago. They all have to go in one direction. What you're talking about is this guy takes a leadership role and the next guy's kind of behind him and you set up a succession plan. You kind of see that at some country clubs, for example. People are probably very familiar with that. Somebody's the president of the country club, but before that they have to serve as the vice president for a year or two. That helps the transition and continuity. This makes all kind of sense. The powers that be in this sport have to clean up the sport. They have to discipline the sport. They have to handle the dirty laundry that's in the sport right now. That just ignoring it is not going to do anything to get it back on the right track. And if there's a guy that can say, this is the decision I'm making on this and that, that happened this year and last year and this year, and he's not going to have a problem with it, it certainly is Nick Saban. But everybody, gee whiz, everybody's got to get behind it and go in the same direction for that sport. It's not like the NFL. There's not 32. There's not 28. There's not 34. There's like a billion different teams, 129 different interests. Everybody's got to get behind it, not necessarily from those schools, but around the sport, the absolute power brokers, including the people down here for whatever pull they have at the College Football Hall of Fame. My concern for college football is the people that are supposed to be running it, they're not realizing the damage they're doing. And too many people we've seen on TV and putting together playoffs and saying these are the rules for it and then throwing some of them out which, by the way, Saban was ticked off about from the get-go when he saw it coming. There's too many of those people that are driving the train. The people at the core of the sport, like Nick Saban, like Peyton Manning, they got to get all together, they got to go one direction, and they got to save the sport before it gets beyond the point of return. So tomorrow's podcast is you can't miss, everybody. Make sure that you tune in. It's going to be fantastic. John, as always, it's so good to have you. By the way, Throw out to everybody, what is your Twitter handle? I am at JP Spartan, at JP Spartan. So remember, my Twitter, or formerly known as Twitter, it's X now, Hondo Carpenter. IG is Hondo SR. Join us there. Remember, go to si.com forward slash NFL forward slash Raiders. You can also click on the newsletter link at the upper right, where you're going to be getting a newsletter three times a week. We're not spamming you. We're not selling your information. That way you never miss another big story. Thanks, everybody, for being us. Remember, we are part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thanks for joining us tonight. Have a good one. Don't miss tomorrow's podcast. It's going to be very Raider-centric, but also very Nick Saban-centric with a very successful Division I college football head coach. See you all tomorrow. This has been a Las Vegas Raiders Insider production on the Fans First Sports Network. 